I get some leaders, some elders up here, some leaders. Come up here real quick. We want to pray for this amazing brother. Greg has an, a, tr a tremendous passion to help families build and, and form a family legacy. And he's going to explain that as we move on today. But this is an honor to have this amazing brother here. So, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Mm. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. We just ask that you would begin to flow through our brother and allow him to articulate your heart for us concerning the future of not only this family, but our own families for generations to come, God. We just ask you would pour out your spirit. And Father, we do pray that when we leave here today, we would be changed a little more into your image, God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you Jesus. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. 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 Wow. Thank you, everyone. What a wonderful time to be with you. Um, my, my wife, Rhonda, wanted me to share with you that she's been praying for this service and praying for you. She wished she could be here. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 38 years. Amen. What a man. She's the most beautiful and wonderful woman in the world. I just wish you could meet her. Oh, man. Um, we have seven children. I know you're going, Greg, something's wrong with you. Well, yes. Uh, they're all boys. Can you, can you believe that? Except for five of them. <laughs> Except for five. Uh, um, you know, I grew up in a wonderful family. Um, we grew up in, in the state of Oklahoma, um, a little small town, kind of a rural town, um, about 15,000 people in my little town. It was great. Um, great place to grow up. Um, uh, just it was awesome. My mom, my mom and dad were believers in Jesus Christ. They took us to church every time the doors were open. Um, they taught us to pray. My parents would tuck us in at night and pray over us. And then they would sing all these really cool songs like One Door and Only One, Yet the Sides Are Two. I can see that was a great song in your, in your past as well. Um, you know, Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed. I mean, we sang all these songs, and then we would pray, and then they would say, now you pray out loud. So our parents taught us to pray out loud every night. What a, what a, what a, what a gift, a gift from my parents. Um, my parents also taught us uh, some really fabulous core values. Uh, one of our core values was being frugal. How many of you know what frugal is? How about cheap? How many of you know what cheap is? Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, I come from a long line of really cheap people, okay? Uh, in fact, we, uh, my parents were so cheap that when we went on family vacation, we used the rule uh, of, we, we used the, the law of re relativity. How many of you know what the, the, the law of relativity is when you go on family vacation? It's where you stay with relatives and, and you eat their food and you sleep in their beds. How I many you know that's, that's cheap, you know? Um, I had an I had an older I have an older sister I have two younger brothers, and uh, uh, in fact with with our with our children, I had uh, I didn't have to wear hand me downs but my my, my younger brothers did, and so um, I, I carried that on into our family. So uh, our boys are among the youngest, and uh, they have to wear hand me downs. So you can imagine them sliding into third base and their dresses flying up and everybody. <laughs> Seeing their panties. How many agree they got a lot to overcome? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, we're we're going to get them some new stuff. But um, today, 
uh, I want to share with you this vision that God gave Rhonda and I when we, when we sought him and, and asked him to give us a vision that would capture the heart and the imagination of our children, our grandchildren, and every generation of our family. If he were to tarry, if the Lord were to tarry, not come back for another 300 years, what would we want that generation and all the generations in between to be busy about in their generation? Man, I'm telling you, that, that, that thought had never really crossed my mind. From the faith tradition that I grew up in, I didn't believe I was going to be old enough to ever get married before the Lord came back. You know, and certainly wasn't going to be old enough to have children, let alone get old like I am now, okay? I mean, that was that thought didn't even cross my mind as I was growing up. Thus, I had a very short-sighted vision when it came to family. Very short-sighted, okay? In fact, we live in a culture that lives in a somewhat short-sighted vision. I call it the two-paycheck two vision. We look down the road, two paychecks as a long-term decision. Am I right? Man, what if, what if we made decisions based on how they were going to impact the next two or three or four generations? I discovered that if we make decisions like that, we make much better decisions. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, I'm so excited. I got to meet Robert and Barbara Henderson. What a great, uh, wonderful couple. And, man, aren't they awesome? Wow. Talk about a family that... that a couple that lives their faith out loud, you know, they just live it out loud everywhere they go. I mean, uh, Robert's got a pin, uh, he's got a hat, his hat has everything on it about God. I'm just unbelievable. The guy just lives it, walks it around and talks to people and talks to the waitress about God. It's incredible, okay, wonderful. Um, and then I got to meet your incredible pastor. Man, what a mighty man of valor. Woo. To hear his story and to hear the, the things that God has done to bring him and this, this body of believers together, you are truly mighty men and women of valor. And God has called you to lay the foundations for many godly generations. You know, Jesus um, came to the earth. Uh, I was thinking about that. Think about how the king of the universe decided to come through the, to the earth. You know, if Jesus was going to make a grand entrance to the earth, how many agree he could have come on a meteor? Wouldn't it be incredible? And then 2,000 years later, we could all stand around the crater and go, that's where Jesus came. Isn't that, a, isn't that magnificent, right? Or he could have come on 10,000 tornadoes, and he would have had to have come to Oklahoma because, <laughs> man, we had 10,000 tornadoes in Oklahoma, okay? I mean, he could have come on a, what a grand entrance. But he chose to come to the earth through a family. Family is so important to him. Think about how much of the Bible is written in the language of family. God wants to, us to call him the great inter, intergalactic dictator of the universe. Is that, is, that, is that what he wants us to call him? No. What's he want us to call him? Father. Daddy. He wants us to call each other what? Brothers and sisters. And, and he is the groom and we're the, man, look at how much of the Bible and our relationship with God is, is, is written in the language of family. It's incredible. And then when Jesus, they say, 
<clears throat> when Jesus was born into um, Joseph and Mary's family, I was thinking how God got this all mixed up with his cousin, um, John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was born into a, uh, a priest's family, and Jesus was born into a businessman's family. Isn't that, isn't that funny? I think God got that backwards, you know? He should have flipped that deal, right? Isn't that amazing? So today, I want to talk to you about some scriptures that, that are really powerful in explaining what is, it, what is our duty as parents and grandparents, as aunts and uncles, that the calling on us to be a blessing as fathers and grand, grandmothers and grandfathers and so on, there's a powerful calling on us, and it starts in, in Psalm 78, verse 4. It says, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and his power and the wonderful works that he has done. A, a commandment that God gave to all of his children, all of Israel, and all of us, is that we are commanded to tell our children and all of our, all of our descendants the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and this, his might and his power to save, his power to protect, his power to bless, okay? That is a commandment from the Lord. And look at this, Psalm 78, 7. Then they will put their trust. Did, did everybody get one of these little handouts? Okay, great, 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 okay. So there on, on Psalm 78, 7. Then they will put their trust in God. When? When will they put their trust in God? When we have told them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and his might and the great things that he has done. They will put their trust in God and will not forget his deeds, but will keep his commands. Wow, what a powerful word. You know, the, the pastor Andy Stanley, uh, who is, uh, is the pastor of a church in, in, in Atlanta, and he, he was explaining uh, how he saw these verses lived out. Uh, he, he started out as a youth pastor in his father's church. And he was able to see now over the last 40, 30 years, uh, 40 years now, that uh, he's seen children who grew up in his youth group, who went off uh, to high school, went off to college, kept their faith all through college. They got married they have children now, and those children are serving and walking with God. Uh, and he saw this happen time and time again. Isn't that exciting? They saw over and over these families who raised up the next generation, and the next generation walked with God. Isn't that cool? He said he found two things, two things that made that happen. Number one, number one thing that those families who had that happen in their family Number one, they practiced what they preached. He said that's one of the single threads that went through it. They didn't talk out of both sides of their mouth. They didn't live one way and talk another way. Y'all see what I'm saying? These kids grew up in a family, in a home, where their parents did as best they could to, to practice what they preach. Isn't that good? I mean, you know, we could, we could do that. That's doable. Am I right? Now, we're going to mess up. How many agree we're going to mess up? And you know how we fix it when we mess up? We ask for forgiveness. I was wrong. Say it with me. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Ready? Would you please forgive me? So, so, so when, we, when we mess up and we don't do what we said or we, we miss it, we just ask for forgiveness. Isn't that good? Second thing he said, 
this single thread that ran through all of these families is that these children grew up in a family where they prayed specific prayers and they saw God answer those specific prayers and they talked about how God did and answers prayer today. He doesn't just part Red Seas thousands of years ago. He doesn't just heal people thousands of years ago. God is a living God and he hears and he answers prayer. He said that's the two things. How many agree we can do that? Right? So that our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds. How, many, how, how do we keep them from forgetting their deed, the deeds? How do we keep our kids from, from forgetting these great things God has done? We've got to talk about them. We've got to talk about them often. I'm telling you, that's the key, Right? You got to put up these memorial stones in your home. You got to put something up on the wall. You got to write it down and put it up so we can see this. Man, God has done miracles in all our lives. How many of you say, Greg, God has saved my life at least one time? God has saved my life. Man, you got to have that story written and put it up in the house, <laughs> right? God is a miracle working God even today. Would you agree with me? Every family ends up somewhere. Few end up somewhere on purpose. Now that's strong. That's about as strong as 40 acres of garlic. <laughs> Down in Oklahoma, we got, 40, we got at least 40 acres worth. Okay. So, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? God has given us a gigantic purpose. In fact, uh, when Rick Warren wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life, how many, how many copies of that book have been sold? Anybody know? 30 million. How many agree? There's a bunch of people trying to figure out what their purpose is. Am I right? They are interested. Well, let me give you your purpose. And this is what you can pass to every generation of your family. Your purpose is to build, enhance, and develop your relationship. Oh, yeah, here's my family, by the way. <laughs> Look at that good-looking group. Grandkids, kids, I'm telling you, we got a whole mess of them. Uh, all right. This, this, this part isn't in your notes, but um, how many agree that the, the, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people don't do very good? Right. No, wait a minute. That's not it. Where there is no vision, it'd be better if you had one. No? Where there is no vision, the people what? And where there is no family vision, the family will perish. Isn't that, isn't that wild? You know, when it comes to uh, having a dream or a vision or a goal, we believe that knowing why is much more important than knowing how. See, if your why is big enough, you'll figure out how. How, you can't hide good enough if you've got a big enough why, okay? And I believe that why is that we're going to pass to every generation godliness. We're going we're to lay the foundations for many godly generations. Here's what we found. I started out in business uh, when I was 19 uh, I, I went to work for a financial services company part-time while I was in college. I then stayed with that company for 30 years. And it was in 1997 that God called me to, to write, Rhonda and I, to write a family vision and mission and values for our family. I had all that for my business. Man, we were intentional at work. I'm telling you. We had goal-setting workshops and seminars. We took our staff away for several days. We did strategic planning with our team. Man, I mean, you know, we're, we try to be intentional at work. Am I right? But when my associate pastor said, Greg, 
My wife and I go on an annual family goal-setting weekend every year. This is our fifth year, he told me. He says, fifth year. We write goals for our marriage, goals for each other, goals for each of our kids. And we've written a family mission, vision, and values. And we kind of evaluate it to see, did we just uh, claim those values or did we just or did, did we live them out? Did we make decisions based upon our core values? I about passed out. I said, David, that's the most intentional thing I've ever heard. You do all that for your family? I said, he said, yes. I said, I do all that for my business. But the thought of doing it for my family hadn't been within a thousand miles of my head. Man, I just, I just missed it. I said, David, write me out an agenda of what you do on this family goal-setting weekend thing. He wrote it out. My wife and I set a date. 1997, I was 37 years old. We drove to Tulsa. We wrote, and God spoke through the end of our pen. He gave us the Gunn family vision statement to lay the foundations for many godly generations. Little did I know as a business owner that God would, would, would cause that vision statement to become my life's work, helping families lay the foundations for many godly generations. And so the, the power of a, a written vision, the power of a written goal is incredible. Look, look at this. There, the, the, the Dominican University of California did a study on goal setting. Here's what they found. If you write a goal one time, even forget that you wrote it, even if you forget you wrote it, you will accomplish significantly more than those who didn't write their goal, as high as a 73% chance. How many of you would like a 73% chance pushing you toward your goal? Wouldn't that be great? Pushing you toward your vision. All right, all you got to do is write it down. Even forget you wrote it. Isn't that, well, isn't that awesome? Second, in that study they found that if you write a goal, put it where others can see it, ask others to hold you accountable to it, you will drastically improve your chances of accomplishing it, as high as 90% chance. How many of you like a 90% chance pushing you toward what you want? Okay, you got to write it down though, okay? The key is you got to write it. That's the power of, now look, look at this, write your vision. This comes from Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. It says, the Lord gave me this answer. Write the vision. Make it clear on tablets so that anyone can read it quickly. Put it in writing because it's not yet time for it to come true, but the time is coming quickly, and what I show you will come true. It may seem slow in coming. How many agree the visions and the dreams that God has given you, sometimes they seem slow in coming? Am I right? God's given you a dream and a vision for your children and grandchildren for things that God, you've been praying for for years. Am I right? He's given you a vision for it. And it, looks, it looks like it's slow in coming. He says, but wait for it. It will certainly take place and it will not be delayed. According to Habakkuk, if your vision for your family is from God, what percent chance is it? It'll come to pass. 100%. Man, that's all I've ever wanted is 100% chance. Right? Thank you, Father. All right, so what is your purpose? What is your purpose? Well, your purpose is to build, enhance, and develop your relationship with God. You can put that in your notes. To build, enhance, and develop your relationship with God. That's why you've been put on the earth. That's why you have a heartbeat. That's why you were born at this time in world history. How many know we could have been born at any time in world history? Am I right? We could have been born in the Ukraine. Am I right? 
But for some reason, God had you, had your descendants, and your an- you know, had your ancestors somewhere, somehow, they got over to here. Am I right? And then they left the East Coast and came all the way to Oregon. Am I right? I mean, you got to be tough to get to Oregon. Am I right? You all come from some good stock. Those that were weak fell off at Oklahoma. Y'all see what I'm saying? Those weaklings just didn't even, didn't even make the trip. Whew, you guys are tough. You guys are, whoo, man, glory to God. So your purpose is to build and, hey, we could have been born at a time when there wasn't air conditioning. How many of y'all agree? Wow. You know, for, for me to get from my house to my brother's house, I can live in Oklahoma City, he lives in Dallas. For me to get there in a car, I can get there in about three and a half hours. But if, if this was 1820, if this was 1820, you know how long it'd take me to get from Oklahoma City to Dallas? No, it would take, uh, I would sleep out under the stars at three miles an hour for eight nights. And I'd cross all these rivers and creeks. And I w- sometime I'd have to sit and wait for the water to go down a little bit so I can get across that, 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 that river. And eight days under the stars, coyotes jumping on you. My goodness. Think about God giving us this opportunity to live at such a time when we have all of this incredible blessing. And he's, got, he's given it to us so that we can bless the earth. Your purpose is to build, enhance, and develop your relationship with God first, your family second. Your family is your second and most important priority. Your first and most important ministry is your family. Not your only ministry, not your only disciples, just your first and most important. You hear hear what I'm saying? Look, if we'll do what only we can do, God will take care of the rest. You know that? If you'll do what only you can do. How many of you know men, men here in this room? Only you can be a father to your children. As long as you're alive, only you can be a grandfather to your grandchildren. You can't delegate that to anybody. Am I right? Only you can be a husband to your wife. Am I right? Only you can have a personal Bible reading and prayer time with God. You can't delegate any of those things to someone else. Am I right? And if you'll do what only you can do, God will take up the slack for you at work. He'll take up the slack for you in ministry. Do you know that? That's a powerful word. Your next, okay, so, so when it comes to your family, your first priority is your marriage. First priority is your marriage. And if those of you who are not married, your first priority is to help make sure that the husband and wife relationship in your family is the most important relationship in your family. You know that? Kids, kids, did you know your purpose is to make sure mom and dad's relationship is the, is the most important relationship. Why? Why would, why would that be the priority relationship? Not father-son, not mother-daughter, but husband-wife. Why is that the number one most important relationship in the family? Because if that, if that relationship goes under, what happens to the rest of the family? Y'all hear what I'm saying? That's why it's the priority. So that's what you want to tell your kids. Kids, mom and dad's relationship is the most important relationship in this family. And part of your job is to help us do that. So make sure we go on a date night. All right? You kids, make sure we go on a date night. Would y'all do that? Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's your first and most important priority. 
I'm, I'm going to ask you as families to become over-the-top verbalizers of your love and your commitment. How many of you grew up in a family where your father, your mother, they did not verbalize their love and their commitment very well? Me too. My mom did, but my dad, he didn't. I hardly ever heard him say, I love you. I'm so proud of you. Very, very few times. How many agree we need to hear that often? Am I right? Had a girl say, Greg, my dad showed us in a thousand ways that he loved us. A thousand. I'd give up 990 of them if I could just hear him say it. Man, you'd give up 990? That's right. That's how valuable verbalizing your love and your commitment is to your family. They need to hear it. What are some things you can say? Say this with me. We have the greatest family in the world. Ready? We have the greatest family in the world. What did you start saying that around the house? Right? What did you start saying that? How about this one? I'm the richest person in the world. Say it with me. I'm the richest person in the world, and my family is my greatest treasure. You walk up to one of your kids, and you say, you know what? I'm the richest person in the world, and you are my greatest treasure. I want my kids one day. This is my dream. They're going to put it on my gravestone. You know what Dad said all the time? That he was the richest man in the world, and I was his greatest treasure. That's what he said all the time. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? That's what I want him to say when I'm gone. Woo, Jesus. The next one is you got to, God's given you this, this purpose to build, enhance, and develop your relationship with others. Where do we build, enhance, and develop relationship with others most often? At work, at school, right? How many agree God puts you around, around a lot of others at work? Am I right? Now, how many of you agree? Non-churchgoers don't go to church. Raise your hand if you believe that's a true statement. That's a true statement. Non-churchgoers don't go to church. They go to work. So if you're going to minister to a non-churchgoer, you're not going to minister to them at church. Where are you going to minister to non-churchgoers? At work. Oh, my gosh. And you know what? You're supposed to live out your purpose See, your vocation is not your purpose. I believe God called me into the business world so that I could have influence on tons of non-churchgoers. Isn't that great? 46 hours a week. That's how much the average person works. They're under the influence of a kingdom business person 46 hours a week. You preach a 46-hour-a-week sermon with your life. Woo! Y'all hear it? God's called all of us into the ministry, right? But he wants us to use our vocation not as your purpose but as your platform. It's your platform to live out your purpose, to live out your relationship with God. So God told me, he said, Greg, I want you to start praying. Uh, when you take a customer, you take a client, you take one of your, your teammates out to lunch, I want you to pray out loud. Oh, Lord, are you sure? I mean, couldn't that be embarrassing? So I'd sit down at the table, and I'm sitting there, and these butterflies start flying around. Man, Lord, I don't want to pray out loud because 
because my coworker saw me slam my finger in the door the other day and I said some words that I shouldn't have said. <laughs> They're going to think I'm a hypocrite by praying. Y'all hear what I'm saying? You know, the thoughts and the butterflies. Oh, man. Well, that's okay, Lord. I, hey, I, would, would it, hey could, could I just pray over this meal real quick? Guess what they all say? Sure. Yeah, no problem. Okay, great. Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for letting me sit here with these, this incredible person. But bless this place. Bless my, our, our uh, waitress or waiter. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, that wasn't in my comfort zone. Don't know that. That was not in my comfort zone. I had to step out of my comfort zone and do it over and over and over. You know what now? It's in my comfort zone. Y'all hear that? Isn't that good? That's a little tiny way I could live out my purpose is my relationship with God first. My family say, what? So I started doing this with my customers. My customers would come in. I was in financial services, so I was setting up their IRA account, and I was setting up their insurance account and so forth. And they'd say, oh, Greg, um, uh, my wife and I, get, we're, we're separating, and I need to separate all of our accounts. Oh, bless your heart. Man, I know what you're going through right now is tough, isn't it? He, oh, man, yeah. I said, hey, would you be offended if I prayed for you about that right now? Would you be offended if I prayed for you about that right now? You know what they say every time? Every time. You, no. I mean, you know, people like to be unoffendable. Isn't that good? They love to be unoffendable. Oh, you can't offend me, <laughs> right? Good. Let me pray for you. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm saying? Isn't that great? So let's try it. Um, would, I, would you be offended? Ready? Would you be offended? Would you be offended? If I prayed for you about that right now. Wow. What a way to live out your faith in God on this platform of a bunch of people who are non-churchgoers. Am I right? Wow. What a, what a word. See, knowing what your purpose is helps you focus on what you want most over what you want now. Isn't that good? What, what we want most is... To, to be a witness and, and, to, and to share the gospel with those, with those around us. Am I right? You know, when I was in school, I was dyslexic. How many of you know what dyslexia is? It's where you see words backwards, letters backwards, things like that. Oh, I had a terrible time in school. Oh, my goodness. Whew, at second grade, I sat at the blue table. How many of you know what the blue table is? It's like the yellow bus, yeah, the short bus, okay? I mean, I said... I sat at the blue table, okay? That's where the, all the slow kids sat. And the kids would walk by my table and go, Greg, see my thumb? Gee, you're dumb. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, I had a terrible time at the spelling bee when they had spelling bees. I went out at cat. I spelled it K-A-T. Now, listen, if you can't spell a word three different ways, you're not creative. Y'all hear me? <laughs> Some of you guys are so staunch and stuck, you think there's only one way to spell a word. Are you kidding me? You know what a, you know what a dyslexic, atheist, insomniac does every night? Lays awake trying to figure out if there is really a dog. Yeah, yeah. You'll, get, you'll get it later, okay? It'll come to you. Uh, you know, because I was really, um, I had a hard time learning to read, 
I didn't practice reading. And thus, I, I didn't get good at reading. How I many you know you can't get good at anything if you don't practice? Oh, my gosh. You can't get at nothing. You can't. You just can't get good at it until you practice. So I just didn't practice. I didn't get good at it. And I really didn't read a book all the way through when I was in school. It wasn't until I got out of high school that I read a book all the way from one end to the other. It took me three days. I mean, I was slow, okay? I mean, I, it takes me, according to Robert, it takes me two hours to watch 60 minutes. How, how many of y'all see how? <laughs> that's Robert's joke. I love it. Um, that's how slow I am, okay? Um, but when I started reading and practicing and getting a little better and better, I started reading books about history, and I found out something incredible about, about the pilgrims. Did you know the pilgrims, there are 102 of them who got on a ship in 1620. There were 30 crew members on that boat, the Mayflower. They traveled across the ocean 66 days. The weather was horrible, horrible. They had to stay in the hull of the ship, no bathroom, no shower. 102 pilgrims, kids running all over the place, puking everywhere. Y'all hear what I'm talking about? No bath, no shower, 66 days. Y'all hear what I'm saying? That's bad. Am I right? That's bad. They finally landed. Two, two months late, 200 miles off course, they landed at Plymouth. You can just imagine them running up on that beach, getting in a shower. How many of y'all say, hey, I bet they came here for their retirement? Now, that's why they left England, is so they could have a good retirement plan over here. No, the average person lived to be 45 years old. That was a... 45 years old. They didn't come here for retirement. Am I right? What drove them? What, 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 what pushed them? They wanted religious freedom. They wanted to worship God according to their conscience and not the king of England. Isn't that something? Of those pilgrims, few were to survive that first year. More than half of them died. And, and, and unbelievably, not a single child only the parents. They got down to five kernels of corn a day was their ration that first winter. I know why none of the children died. The parents. Because that's what parents do. Grandparents give up their ration for their children. Just like all of you, the sacrifices every one of you have made are like that and more. You know, those uh, 102 pilgrims got down to 50 people. You know how many people today are directly descended from those 50? You know how many? 33 million. There are 33 million descendants from those 50 people. Only God can count, no, any of us can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples that are in a seed. And out of those 50 people came 33 million descendants. What could 33 million people do if they all had a heart for God in this country? Wow, wow. Here's what, I, here's what I've discovered. Vision, vision creates passion. Write that in your notes. Vision creates passion. Passion creates discipline. 
Discipline creates total commitment. You show me someone who's paid a big, nasty, ugly price. You show me someone who's paid a big price. Been disciplined. Got up early and stayed up late. Gutted it out and didn't give up and didn't turn back and didn't faint and didn't lose heart. You show me someone that's totally committed. The totally committed will change the world. You know, I think about what in the, when, those, uh, when the ship captain of the Mayflower said, hey, I'm going back to England. How many of you people want to go with me? Guess how many of those 50 people said, my gosh, whew, I'm going back. I had no idea I was going to get over here and watch my spouse die. I had no idea I was going to come over here and starve. How many of those 50 pilgrims got back on that boat and went home? Not one of them. Not one of them. Whoo, where does that come from? Where does that passion come from to pay such an ugly price? Did you know 156 years later, some of the descendants of that Mayflower signed the Declaration of Independence? 56 men. I tried to fathom what I'd say to my wife if I was one of those 56 in Philadelphia and I signed that document. I went home to Rhonda. I said, Rhonda, you know what I did? I signed the Declaration of Independence. Aren't you proud of me? She said, you did what? You signed the deck. You realize the first 56 people they're going to kill when they get over here is those dudes who signed that document. They're going to burn our house down, right? They're going to burn our house down, and we just got this thing paid for. What are you doing? I said, well, honey, everybody was signing it. I, I didn't want to be the only one that did. How would you explain it? Did you know of those 56, few were able to survive? Five of them were caught by the British as traitors, and they hung them to death. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost sons in the Revolutionary Army. One had two sons captured by the enemy. Freedom's never free. It's always purchased with a great price. Vision creates passion. I think about the passion of some of those founding fathers, Patrick Henry. He said, he stood up and they were trying to decide, are we going to go to war against Britain? And he stood up among this and they're all talking about, man, we can't beat them. They're too big. They got the best Navy in the world. They got the most guns in the world. We ain't got nothing. We don't have an army. And he stood up and said, hey, is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased with chains and slavery? God forbid, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Wow, where does that passion come from? It comes from the vision. Vision creates passion. Passion gives you power to be disciplined. Nathan Hale, he was a school teacher. He was a, he was a spy. He would, George Washington sent him into the enemy territory to spy on him. And they caught him when he was trying to get, get back across the lines. The British caught him and put him in the put a noose around his neck and was stretching him up. And they said, Nathan, you got one last word. And they just knew he was going to start crying and begging for mercy. You know what he said? I've got but one regret. Think about all the things Nathan could have regretted, leaving his wife without a husband, his kids without a father. His land that his parents purchased with their blood and sweat and tears was going to be confiscated by the British. He said, but I've only got but one regret, that I've got but one life to give for my country. Man. 
Where does that passion come from? Where does that discipline come from? It comes from a vision. Vision creates passion. Passion creates discipline. Discipline creates total commitment. I believe God's calling us to be men and women and families of vision. We've got to become tough, right? We're living in some extraordinary times, are we not? And there's an attack on the family. Satan is trying to attack families and get husbands and wives to, to get mad and mean and hurt each other's feelings. Am I right? The enemy's trying to get siblings to hurt each other's feelings and drive the, their children outside the family to get their needs met. Peer pressure becomes insurmountable for them. We've got to cast a vision that will capture the heart and the imagination of our children and grandchildren. God wants you to write a family vision statement and a mission statement. My grandfather, John Diffie, was one of the most influential people in my life. I, th I really believed I was his favorite grandchild until I talked to my cousins. And they said, no, you weren't. I was his favorite. I don't know how he did it. He made every one of us think we were his favorite grandchild. Hey, grandparents in this room, you have got a huge calling. You've got a gigantic purpose. You need to spend the rest of your life casting vision for your children and grandchildren. Look for every opportunity to get those grandkids in the room. Did you know grandparenthood is a do-over? My grandkids have no idea I used to be an idiot. They, they think I'm wonderful. They have no idea. I've never been really bitter, angry. They've never seen me throw anything at the wall. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? My grandkids think I'm great, and I'm not telling them any different. I got more influence on my little finger than mom and dad have in their whole body. If I just use it right, am, am, am I right? Guys, guys, we got one shot to do this thing right. But if we do it right, one shot's all we need. Am I right? I'm calling on you grandparents to become the most focused, focused trainers and teachers of your children and grandchildren. Your children, how many agree? Your children, they go deaf. Am I right? They quit listening to us. Am I right? There's something, you know, just deaf as they can be. <laughs> but mom, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. Oh, my gosh. I met a lady last night has 10 great-grandchildren. Are you kidding me? Look, when a grandparent dies, a library burns, and it's normally a total loss. I don't have a single piece of paper that my grandfather wrote. I got a little handful of pictures and the most awesome memories of all time. But he didn't write anything. He didn't write anything to me. I'm going to ask you to start writing to your children and grandchildren. They're going to read this stuff 100 years from now and 200 years from now. You're going to videotape yourself. We're the one of the few generations that can videotape your kids and grandkids looking into your eyes and down into your soul. One day when you're dead and gone, you've got children who right now don't want to hear from you. But when, you're, when you've been dead and gone 10 or 15 years, they're going to wish they had something and you're going, to, you're going to provide it for them. You're going to write a family vision and a mission and value. So, so your family vision will act as a compass for every generation of your family. It'll become a rudder that'll turn your, your ship away from the rocks for your family for generations. So they won't, they won't end up on the shore and it'll become a telescope. Every generation can live it out. Look, look at Joshua 24:15. But, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, said Joshua to, to, to the people of Israel, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my household, we will what? We're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand. I'm going to tell you a story real quick about my dad. My dad and mom went to a Christian conference um, when I was 11 years old. My sister was 12. My younger brother was eight. My youngest brother was six. My parents got home from that, that, uh, that Christian conference, and they said in that conference, if you've harmed or hurt or um, sinned against anybody in your family, I want you to go home and get your family in a huddle. So my dad and mom got us all in a huddle. We were huddled up in the living room. I remember looking up and seeing mom and dad and my sister. You know, we're all in this. I was little, 11. My dad started crying, and I'd never really seen my dad cry. But boy, he started crying, and it was like snot running the whole bit. It was, it was ugly. <laughs> and he said, as he choked out these words, I'm going to ask you kids to please forgive me for all the times that I've hurt you that I've disciplined you in anger, that I yelled at your mom in front of you. I want to ask you to please forgive me. And I say, yes, Dad, I forgive you. Just quit crying. (laughs) You know what? That took about one minute of his life. But I spent the rest of my life tying my relationship to my dad back to that one minute. I forgave my dad for all the past, all the present and all the future in that one minute. When I went off to college and my buddies wanted to go party and skip class and I said, I don't want to go. Why don't you want to go, Greg? We're going to have fun. I know you guys go ahead. Y'all, y'all have a great time. I ain't going. You know why I didn't want to go? I didn't want to hurt that guy that was bawling that day in our living room. You know, how many think my dad may have disciplined me in anger after that? How many of y'all think my dad may have gotten me so mad I want to run away from home after that. How many of y'all think that might have happened? Well, of course it did. My dad's a human, okay? But you remember after, after I got up being initially mad at him? I thought, oh, that wasn't even my real dad. My real dad was that guy that was bawling that day in our living room. That was my real dad. And I forgive him. I'm going to ask you to huddle up with somebody next to you. If, if it's your spouse, if it's I want you to huddle, huddle up. Y'all, y'all ready to get in a little huddle? Can y'all huddle up a little bit? Yeah, yeah. You got to get three, three or four. Nobody's alone. Nobody's alone. You got to get a little huddle. Okay. I'm going to, I want you to envision this being your, your, your immediate family or this being your siblings, this being the, your family of origin. I want you to kind of huddle up here. And I'm going to ask you, each one of you, take a minute and say, I want to ask you to please forgive me. For all the things I've done that hurt you. Y'all say it. Y'all say it now. I want to ask you, please forgive me. Say it. For all the things that I've done that have hurt you. I want you to envision you saying that to those in your family that aren't here, those siblings that are far away from you and far away from God. I want you to say this to that child or that son or daughter, that grandchild that's Maybe far away from you. I want you to envision that now. Close your eyes. I want you to envision. And I want you to say to them, I want to ask you to please forgive me. Say it with me. I want to ask you to please forgive me. 
I don't deserve your forgiveness. But would you please forgive me? And I want you to say, I forgive you for all the things you've done to me. I release you. You're forgiven. I'll hold it against you no more. Lord, I just thank you for this, this time of forgiveness, this time of reconciliation inside of families. I come against all the attacks of the enemy on these families and, and all the generations in the past and all the generations in the future. Lord, I'm saying to this day that forgiveness is going to reign supreme in our homes and among our relationships. And even if you hurt me again in the future, I'm already premeditating to forgive you of anything you do in the, in the future. This is for the past, the present, and the future in Jesus' name. We're going to bring healing into families from this day forward. We're going to lay a foundation for many godly generations here. Lord, I pray now that as you, these people leave this place, Lord, you would open a door for them to actually get to speak to, us, to a family member that they need to ask them to forgive or they need to forgive them. They need to just say it. I forgive you, I love you, and I bless you. Say it with me. I forgive you. I love you, and I bless you. Even if you never ask for my forgiveness, I'm forgiving you now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. That was powerful. Amen. Wow. Uh, I have a follow-up testimony. Remember last week, talk about healing and families and rifts that can happen. Years ago, Chris and Tracy Addington went to church. Are you guys remember Chris and Tracy? Yeah, awesome, awesome people. Life happened, and some stuff happened in their family. And last week, we prayed for Megan's mom, Tracy, that she would be released from the hospital and healed, right? I want you to listen to this. So a couple hours after church, I get a call from my mom, and she's like, I'm on my way to your house. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah. So I said, okay. I went outside, and they released her from the hospital. Um, and we were rejoicing over that, and uh, she did end up going back to the hospital. They released her again a couple times back and forth, and she is just like in this place of transformation and healing right now. Uh, she came home. She came to my house a couple days ago, and she was like, all I want is the Lord. Like, I feel like I've never been where I am before. And you know, she's had a walk. <laughs> she's had a walk with God. Um, and she's like, I have never felt this way about God that I feel right now. I just want to be with him. So God's just doing a lot in her life, and I'm thankful to God, and I'm thankful for this family. Uh, that love her and are praying and lifting her up. So. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's agree together. Wow. Father, we just lift Tracy up to you. And Father, we choose life and we speak life in the name of Jesus, God. 
Father, that you would heal her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. Father, we ask that you would align every cell in her body with your kingdom, God. Wow. Father, I just pray that she would come back running to you in such a way, God, that, wow, (laughs) everyone around would know that they know that they know that something happened and that Tracy would be able to articulate you and the power that you have, God, and the healing that you want to do in people's lives. And Father, I just, I just see this as a catalyst for healing families and relationships in our own tribe here, God. So, Father, we say yes and amen to your plans. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, for any of you that would be available this afternoon... At, from at three o'clock, from three to six, we're going to be meeting at Robert Henderson's uh, place of business, and we're going to take people through how to write a family vision, mission, and values. It's absolutely free. You'll walk out of there with your mission statement, your vision, and your core values for your family. You could pass to every generation. So you're welcome to come and just get a hold of Robert. Yeah, it's a big blue building. You can't miss it, so it's, it's awesome. Hey, uh, I want to thank you guys. Let's just close in prayer, and if you'd help pick up some chairs, that would be awesome. So, Father, we just thank you for this moment. Mm. Father, you have moved us in the past about being intentional, and I just pray, God, that you would put that on our hearts, that we'd be intentional about putting one foot in front of the other. And, Father, I'm confident that as we do that, We'll walk into the very thing that you're calling us to, God. Mm. And Father, I thank you for Greg. I thank you for his ministry. I ask that you continue to bless this ministry, bless his family and his wife. And, and uh, wow, thank you, God. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please don't forget tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, we're praying for Ukraine, okay? Bless you guys. <laughs>